maybe right here at the beginning of the semester would be a good time to tell you that God is asking you, what in the world are you doing here? <laughs> there is an answer to the question, but we'll get, that, get to that in a bit. There was a, a little figure in the comic strips that I used to love named Ziggy. He was vertically challenged. He was about yay high. And on this particular comic strip, he's living in a big high-rise condo, skyscrapers out the window, the sun's coming up over the skyscrapers, and he's looking down at the traffic below all the people and the cars and the taxis and the Ubers and the lifts going by. And his even smaller dog is standing next to him like, with fear and trepidation. And Ziggy turns to his dog and says, it's you and me against the world, and I think we're going to get creamed. <laughs> Elijah was no small figure in the Old Testament, and he had just had a remarkable victory over the prophets of Baal. Read chapter 18. You know I like to say, a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to mean. You can't understand chapter 19 without chapter 18. And yet, and yet, Elijah finds himself at the beginning of this story in the same position as Ziggy. Elijah, though he was no loser, indeed had just had that incredible victory over the prophets of Baal, the Canaanite storm god, was in a difficult situation. He'd been summoned by Queen Jezebel, who was the patron and ardent supporter of those prophets, and she threatened his life. Elijah knew it was a serious threat, and he became unnerved, and he ran away. His fleeing could not be called a strategy to get perspective. Rather, it was an escape plan. Nevertheless, he needed to get away from the problem and get to a place where he could hear God's answer to the problem. And of course, that's often a good policy for us. Sometimes it's better for us to step back in time or in space or both from a problem and get a better perspective. Khalil Gibran, the great Lebanese poet, says, the mountain to the climber is clearer from the plain. Now the text says that Elijah fled all the way through Israel, all the way through Judah, to the southernmost city in the Holy Land, Beersheba, and even there, it wasn't over. He left his servant there, went off into the desert to pray. Now it's very clear that when Elijah wanted to get away, he wanted to get very far away. It's very clear when you look at this that something else is going on inside Elijah. What did he pray for? He was so despondent and depressed despite his recent big victories over the prophet of Baal. He said this, there's no profit in being a true prophet. Take my life, Lord. I don't deserve to live any longer than my ancestors. What was it that had so depressed Elijah that he wanted to lay down and die? He tells us directly, I'll have you know, God, 
I have been very zealous for you, and yet those sorry Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altar and put your prophets to death, and I alone am left, and now they're even trying to kill me. It's you and me against the world, Lord, and I think we're going to get creamed. How often have any one of us been in that sort of position, or at least felt we were, at the end of our ropes, ready to give up, maybe ready to lay down and die. The prophet Elijah sits under a broom tree in the desert and laments, there are no converts, and asks to die. Then there's Jonah. Jonah, who tried to get away on Tarshish cruise lines, was swallowed by a whale, finally made his way truculently to Nineveh, put his hand over his mouth and said, and all of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes, even the animals. So he sits down under his vine, just like Elijah sat down under his broom tree, and complains to God because all of Nineveh is converted and he has to die. It's a wonder how God puts up with us. We're not pleased when things go wrong, and we're not pleased when things go right either. Despite his depression, Elijah did the right thing. He prayed to God in his hour of need. One wonders how many suicides could have been averted if when someone came to the end of their ropes, instead of making a noose, they put their life back in the hands of their maker, God. It is interesting that at this juncture, Elijah is showing all the classic signs of depression, which our pastoral counseling staff can help you analyze. He does not take good care of himself. He has worn himself out with fear and running and failure to eat. At the point of both physical and emotional exhaustion, he prays to God, and instead of dying, he falls asleep. As Shakespeare said, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. Sleep, the best medicine. But then what happens? One of the most fallacious things we could ever say about our God is that sometimes God does not answer prayers. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's bad theology. I'm going to say it one more time. That's bad theology. Now, the assumption behind the statement, God didn't answer my prayer, is that only yes or an affirmative answer would be an answer to prayer. Wrong. In fact, no is just much an answer to prayer as yes is, and you will have noticed that in this text, Elijah gets a no answer. Instead of taking his life away, God sends one of his FedEx messengers with a loaf of bread and some water and says, get up, eat, nourish yourself. you got a long trip ahead of you. You see, here's the thing, and if you don't catch anything else from this sermon, catch this. It is characteristic of our God that he doesn't necessarily answer our prayers at the point of our request. He answers it at the point of our need. It is characteristic of our God that he doesn't necessarily answer the prayer at the point of our request, but at the point of our need. God knew that Elijah didn't need his life taken away. He needed strengthened for what was to come. When we lived in Northeast Ohio, there was a little girl who lived in Cleveland that we knew about, who lived in a high-rise apartment, and she was just fascinated with horses. 
and she had asked her parents for a pony, not my little pony, a real pony, for Christmas. And she was telling her grandmother about this, who lived in Lorraine before Christmas, and her grandmother was wise enough not to squelch the little girl's dream. So what she said to her is, well, honey, you're coming to see me again in January. When you come back in January, tell me how that prayer for the pony came out. Christmas rolls around, there is not a real pony under the tree, the little girl goes back to visit her grandmother, they're making Toll House cookies, they're having a good time. Gradually, the grandmother brings the conversation around to the sticking point of the pony. She said, well, did God answer your prayer about the pony? And the little girl looks dumbstruck. She says, oh yes, Granny, he said no. No is, after all, an answer to prayer. And no is the answer God gave Elijah when God had been asked to take away his life. You see, the Lord knew that the real answer to Elijah's problems and his depression was not to take his life away, but to strengthen it, to give him sustenance, support, assurance. Those kind of things can get people back on the right track. God didn't answer Elijah's prayer. Even the prophet Elijah, at the point of his request, he answered it at the point of his need, his actual need. Mount Horeb is a long way from just south of Beersheba. It is the same mountain in all likelihood as Mount Sinai, where God famously said to Moses, take two tablets and call me in the morning. When I was taking a group of my students to Mount Sinai, we got there late in the afternoon, and we knew there would not be a lot of daylight left, so we were just boogieing up the mountain to get to the top to watch the sunrise on the top of Mount Sinai. And we came around the last bend at the top of Mount Sinai, and the sun was setting, and right there at the top was a Coca-Cola and ice cream vendor <laughs> saying, we see you are a little out of breath, you need something to drink, and perhaps something cool and refreshing. I then knew why Moses spent so much time on the top of Mount Sinai. <laughs> Notice that physical restoration of Elijah was not the end game. There was the spiritual restoration of Elijah that happened to hap happen, had to happen on Horeb. He needed the shalom that comes from God, the wellness that comes from God, the wellness of his whole person. Now, when he gets to Horeb, that's when the spiritual part of the problem is dealt with by God. I think it is best for all of us at times, when we have a big problem, to go somewhere quiet where we can be alone and talk with God and try and sort things out through prayer, a personal conversation with God. Notice how God asks Elijah, why have you come to Horeb? What in the world are you doing here? And at that point, Elijah is just bursting to tell God. I'll have you know, I've been very zealous for you, God, very zealous indeed, but your sorry Israelites have broken down the altars and disobeyed the covenant, and now they're trying to take my life away. It turns out Elijah's real problem was his own fears. He didn't think there was anybody left that was loyal to God except him. 
He was afraid of dying a pointless death in the hands of those who should have loved and respected him in the northern part of the land, who should have listened to him instead of Queen Jezebel or King Ahab. Put another way, in an honor and shame culture, he was afraid of being publicly shamed and feeling as if he had accomplished zero in his ministry. Having named his fear and unburdened his soul, finally, Elijah was ready to hear God's solution to the problem. All too often, we don't hear God's solution to the problem because, number one, we're too busy complaining to hear the still small voice, or maybe we're singing, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz, if you've been listening to prosperity preachers. Or maybe three, we don't really admit due to pride that we have a problem. Which is it? I've even met people that have preferred sympathy for their problems because it brought them attention and they could have a pity party than a solution that stops the flow of comfort and consolation from others. There follows, for me, one of the great passages in the Old Testament, where we learn something very clear about how God's will and answers can be found, even in troubling situations. We are told, there was a mighty wind, but that God and his will for Elijah's life could not be discerned from the wind. There was a great earthquake, but again, God's design and word could not be read in the earthquake. There was a conflagration, a mighty fire, but however dazzling, it revealed nothing, nothing of God's real nature or will for the situation. Then finally, there was a whisper, a still, small voice, a bare whisper like a breath of wind. And you had to concentrate with all your being to hear it. At this juncture, God calls Elijah out from the cave. He wraps his mantle around his head. He goes forth to an open spot. And the first direct revelation involves simply calling his name, Eliyah. His name means Yahweh is my only God. Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? Some time ago, I got a form letter from Time Magazine, whose magazine I subscribed to for many years. You know how form letters go. They type in your name into blank spaces every so often to make it look personal. But Time Warner was a big company by the time I got this last letter. They read my name, Dr. Ben Witherington III, and that was just too long, even at .09 font, to squeeze into those little spaces on that paper. So the computer, being a smart computer, lopped off all the middle bits, and the letter read, I kid you not, Dear Dr. Third. <laughs> we know you're one of the most important persons in your neighborhood, and so we're making this personal appeal to you to renew your subscription to Time Magazine. Surely, Dr. Third, you wish to continue to obtain all the news about domestic and foreign affairs, as you have in the past. So please, Dr. Third, simply sign your name at the bottom, Dr. Third, on this piece of paper, tear it off, put it in the self-addressed stamped envelope, and send it back to us, and you will continue to receive, week after week, of our Great American News Weekly, yours sincerely, Time Incorporated. Now, I was tempted to write them back, Dear Ink. 
You see, when the world tries to be personal, it treats persons like numbers and things. But when God is personal, he calls you by name. He calls you by name. Even the prophet he calls to account and calls him by name. Did you notice that it wasn't the world of God that revealed to Elijah what the truth was, even though it's great to know that God is a God of creation? Those insurance companies are all wrong. You can't call all that an act of God. Guess what? It's a natural occurrence, actually. The truth of the matter is that you need to look and listen to the word of God rather than examining the world of God if you want to know his particular will for your life. He went to the holy mountain to hear the word of God, and he got an answer. And what was the answer? God says, Elijah, you are not alone. You are not alone. There are other true believers around even where you're ministering. Carry on with the task I've given you. Go back up to Israel and I will provide you with extra help. It's amazing how much help just a little reassurance is that we're not alone. It's amazing when we finally grasp that God has not abandoned us in a difficult situation. Sometimes we may feel we are one of the few loyal persons in our church or locale, and God can show us it's just not so. Thus, we should not give up or become depressed. We need to return to the rock from which we have been hewn, the very word of God, where God speaks to us day after day after day. And when God asks you, what in the world are you doing here? Your answer should be, here I am, Lord, take me. Here I am, Lord, take me. And when you get down and turn to prayer one more time, know this, that God will send others to help. For the God who revealed himself to Elijah on Horeb and called him out of his depression can do the same for you today if we are willing to place ourselves where it's quiet enough to hear his voice. Put aside your cell phones, put them on stun. Stop the twittering and the tweeting. Close the MacBook Pro or the PC. Go to a quiet place and say to the Lord, what would you have me do and who would you have me be? The still, small voice is still speaking, if you will but hear it. And all God's people said, Amen. let's pray. Lord, we know we're not all we're supposed to be, and sometimes we just get afraid. Lord, I pray in this moment for our mixed up and messed up United Methodist Church. Lord, sometimes it's easy to get so discouraged and think somebody other than you is in control. We ask on this day, Lord, that we might hear your voice saying, go back, do what you're called to do. There are others who have not bowed down to the gods of this world and have not kissed them. We thank you, Lord, that that's true. So strengthen us in our depression. Lift us up 
in our worries. Answer us in our prayers, even if the answer is no, and we will give you the glory. Amen.